You're listening to the Roofing Success Podcast, a show created to inspire roofing contractors to achieve optimal success in their roofing businesses. I'm the host, Jim Moline, the co-author of the book, Internet Marketing for Roofing Contractors, how to triple your sales and turn your roofing website into an online lead generation machine. I'm also the co-founder of Roofer Marketers, the digital marketing agency for the roofing industry. On each episode, I'll be sitting down with industry leaders to talk about their processes, the lessons they've learned, and how to find success in roofing. Welcome to another episode of the Roofing Success Podcast. As always, please subscribe, follow, share. Uh, today, we're really excited. This is this is not a conversation that's just specifically roofing, but it is something as a business owner that you need to be thinking about. And a lot of us don't. As small business owners or, or family-run businesses, a lot of times we don't think about what happens at the end of our business. Do we sell our business? Do we just close it down? For those of you that uh, that are listening that are, you know, have mature companies, right? You're doing $5 million, $10 million, $20 million a year. There may be a point in time where you want to think about exiting your business, you know, retirement, right? Where, what beach do you want to live on, right? For those of you that are starting your business, this is an important conversation because it's, it's, it, it will help you think with the end in mind, right? When you're, when you're setting your goals and getting your business started, this is a way to, to put together your business in a properly structured manner so that it has value, not just the time that you put into it, but the actual business that has value. So today we have Michelle Seiler Tucker, with, uh, who, is, who's, who has just written her new book, Exit Rich. But a little bit about Michelle. Um, she is the USA's top closer. 90% of all of her listings closed. 95% of all offers are closed. Over 20 years experience in uh, mergers and acquisitions, over thousand, over a thousand businesses bought and sold. Two-time number one best-selling author, speaker, TV, radio host, venture capitalist, business owner, and the list goes on and on. Michelle, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with the the roofing company owners that 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 tune into our podcast. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no that problem. That was a mouthful. Thanks for saying all that. <laughs> well, you 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 do a lot. So you you your experience in this industry. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. How did you get uh, in kind of how did you get to where you are today in the mergers and acquisitions yeah. world? So, you know, everybody asked me that question. You know, I didn't wake up one day and say, "Hey, I'm going to sell businesses." But, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. And I really wasn't your typical child. I, you know, wasn't playing with toys or dolls or anything. I would walk around with a notebook and a pen at the age of six and walk up to you and ask you, what do you do? Who are you? <laughs> ask you a bunch of questions. And my mom's like, oh my gosh, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. And I'm like, sorry, mom, I'm not. But anyway, so I've always been interested in people. I've always been interested in writing and I've always been interested in business. And even as just a little girl, my father used to take me to work with him. Um, he owned an eggplant in California. I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs and my daddy wasn't really a big entrepreneur, but, um, you know, I always said, gosh, I don't want to work for somebody. I, I want to go out and create. And 
That's what I did. I've owned lots of different businesses. I've owned businesses in printing. I've owned event companies, all kinds of stuff, medical. Um, I did kind of get sucked into corporate America working for Xerox. Xerox actually recruited me. And so I worked there. I, I was there for six months and my nickname became the closer. So when somebody couldn't close a deal, they were like, go get the closer. She'll close it. <laughs> so I was nicknamed the closer. And within six months, my manager came to me and said, Michelle, you really should apply for the regional vice president position. She says, you won't get it because you've only been here six months and everybody else that's applying has been here five, 10, 15 years. I'm like, well, if I'm not going to get it, why should I apply for it? <laughs> And, you know, it's probably one of the best things I ever did listening to her because she said, listen, it doesn't matter if you get it. What matters is what you're going to learn from this experience. Yes. And she says it's going to be a three month process where you have to meet with all the high level executives at Xerox. You have to do Q&As with them, presentations, demonstrations on the high volume Xerox equipment. And she goes, you will learn more through this process than anything else. And Xerox is, you know, has one of the best teaching academies in the world, really. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I threw my hat in the ring and she was right. It was a grueling process. And I did end up getting it, even though I was told I would never get it. Wow. Because Xerox, you have to be there typically two years before they promote you. So I did get it. I beat out everybody else. And um, so I guess I really am the closer. That's <laughs> right. The problem is, is once I got it, I hated it <laughs> because I like sales. And the worst thing that a company can do is promote their top salesperson in the management. And now in management for a fortune 500 company, what do you do? You have meetings to, to schedule meetings, to schedule follow-up meetings, to have more meetings. So anyway, I missed entrepreneurship. I told my husband, I said, I got to do something. I'm going to keep my six-figure position because I'm climbing up the Xerox ladder very quickly, but I still have to do something. I have to have a business. So I found a franchise. I had two franchise locations. My husband knew the founder. And so I approached him and said, I want to buy a franchise. And I said, no, we know you. We know your husband. We know of your reputation. We know you're the closer. We want you to put us on the map. We want to make you a partner and we will give you a franchise. And I said, hmm, I'm going to quit my six-figure position for a franchise order has two franchise locations. I don't think so. I said, but I'll tell you what I will do. I'll try it for six months and see how it goes. I'll keep my job at Xerox. On the weekends, I'll, trade, uh, I'll attend franchise trade shows, et cetera. I ended up selling more franchises in six months and doubling what I was making at Xerox in six months. So I ended up leaving, partnering with this franchise company. And it was great in the beginning. But here's what happened. I sold so many franchises, over 300 franchises, in a very short period of time. They couldn't handle the growth because they never built the solid foundation. Mm. Anybody who's in construction knows you have to have a foundation. If you don't have a foundation, what happens? <laughs> right. It, it crumbles. It crumbles. And, it and that's crumbles what happens quick. in business. So yeah. the house crumbles, the business crumbles. So that's what happened. And I was team franchisees. And they were mad at me because they thought I should be on their side. I'm like, no, I will always be on the franchisee side. I will always yeah. be on the client side. So anyway, I had to buy me out. I said, what am I going to do next? Oh, I should sell businesses. How much harder can it be to sell a business than a franchise? <laughs> and so that's when I transitioned into selling businesses, then businesses $10 million and up. Then I got all my accolades, mergers, acquisitions, master intermediary, senior business analyst, and now I specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing businesses because I learned very quickly, like Steve Forbes says, eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. Eight out of 10. So I said, gosh, if I don't figure out how to fix them 
and grow them and build them to sell, I'm going to starve to death. (laughs) So that's when I transitioned into fixing businesses, coming up with my build to sell blueprint and partnering with business owners so they could sell for their desired price tag. That's my story. That's that's a journey, but you definitely are the closer for sure. So (laughs) you, it, and in that, in that journey, one of the things that I've always thought about, uh, my, my stepfather owned a franchise, um, and, and I, you know, I've, I have a really good friend in high school who his family owned uh, multiple McDonald's franchises and, and things like that. And you always think of those companies, especially like the McDonald's level, that those systems and processes are really dialed in, right? That, that it's so duplicatable and so easy uh, to do that. But it sounds like with any business, right, that was a franchise business, you can break those processes pretty quickly if you overwhelm the system Um, or they didn't have the proper processes in place or, you know, to move towards what, what I want to kind of move the conversation towards is your six P's. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the things that need to be in place. So I think those were probably lessons and you could speak to the six P's a little bit more here, but it's having that proper foundation, but having, having, other things in place. It's not just having an SOP for something, right? It's that not is absolutely just, correct. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so speak to the six P what are okay. the six P's? Sure. So before I do that, let me just give you a little bit of foundation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the reason that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell, because I think it's important to understand why they don't sell. Mm-hmm. The reason they don't sell is because business owners never plan their exit. Business owners never plan for the biggest asset in their life, which is typically their business. We plan for our our kids, where they're going to go to school, right? Preschool, elementary, high school, college, how many grandkids are going to give us? If, if, you know, we plan for our estate, we have a will, we do all this stuff, but we don't plan for our business. So business owners never think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs, right? Mm -hmm. They never think about selling until something bad happens, partner disputes, death, divorce, you know, COVID, whether it's internal or external. And let me tell you, that's the worst time to sell your business. The best time to sell your business is when your business is doing well. So it's really important from day one of starting or buying a business. And look, if you've been in business five or 10 years, your listeners, it's okay. You got to start somewhere. (laughs) So it's really, it's really imperative to plan an exit. Now I call this, I like to talk to you real quick about the GPS exit. And then we'll talk about the six. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Only because it follows a certain um, logic. So it's real important to say, okay, I'm going to plan my exit. How do you do that? It's not that difficult. I call it the GPS. So when you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, right? Yep. And you plug in your destination. Before phones, we, we use maps. <laughs> so we, we plug into Google where we want to go. Well, same thing with business owners. Business owners never figure out their destination. So they end up driving aimlessly around getting lost, going in circles, going up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere. So figure out your destination, your end game, your sales price. So if you say, all right, I want to sell my business for $10 million. Great. There's a number. You can sell it higher, you can sell it lower, but let's get a number. (laughs) Now you got something to aim to. Now you got something to drive to. Now you got a destination. We can reverse engineer it and make it happen. So once you have your destination, what do you need now? Now you need to know your current location. Where mm. are you starting from? What is your valuation? So if you want to sell for $10 million and you're worth $2 million right now, let's say you're worth $2 million and you want to sell for $10 million. Great. 
what time frame? Now let's talk about valuation real quick. Yes. Always know your valuation. Every year you should get evaluation. Every year us humans get a physical checkup, right? To make sure our bodies are okay. We get our cars checked up to make sure our cars are okay. Business owners never get a valuation checkup. They never get their business evaluated. Most business owners have never had an evaluation on their business. And you should have it every year because there are things that happen that can increase your valuation and decrease it within a year. So it's very important to get that valuation. It's not that expensive. We put our clients on a maintenance program and we don't charge that much. Know what your business is worth and not only know what it's worth, but what are your five-year projections, okay? So again, if we want to sell for $10 million, we do evaluation, you're worth $2 million. Next, you need to know time frame. What time frame do you want to sell the business in? Okay, seven years. Great. $10 million, $2 million, seven years. We're beginning to formulate what's called a plan, <laughs> a roadmap. <laughs> and now you need to determine, okay, well, who's my buyers going to be? Buyers, not buyer. You can never have one buyer because if you have one buyer, you probably won't sell. That buyer will probably fall, fall through. You never put your eggs in one buyer's basket. So there's five different types of buyers. So you, so now we got to say, okay, I want to sell for $10 million. Who do I rule out? Well, you can rule out a first-time buyer. First-time buyers are buyers who never owned a business before. In all likelihood, they can't afford you. You're going to rule out first, you're going to rule out turnaround specialists because they buy distressed businesses. They're not going to pay you $10 million. Who could buy you? Private equity group? A strategic slash competitor? Let's say maybe it's a general contracting business. It could be an AC business. It could be a plumbing business. It could be electrical. That's a strategic. Or it could be another roofing company, right? Um, or a serial entrepreneur. Serial entrepreneurs are industry agnostic, EBITDA specific. EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So once you figured out who, okay, I want to sell for $10 million, two years, I mean, two Sell for $10 million. I'm worth $2 million today. I want to do this in seven years. My buyers are going to be either a peg, a competitor, slash strategic, or sophisticated. All right, what's their financial criteria? For them to buy me for $10 million, where's my gross revenues need to be? Where's my profit margins need to be? Where's, most importantly, where does my EBITDA need to be? To sell for $10 million, you have to have an EBITDA of over a million bucks. You probably need to have an EBITDA around $2 million, $2.5 million to sell for $10 million. Okay. So now at least, you know what the financial criteria is. Now you need to ask yourself, okay, what kind of business do they buy? What are the characteristics they look for? What are the synergies that they buy? Because buyers will pay more for synergies. Then you figure out, okay, let me build this business to meet their specific buying criteria. That's where the six P's come in. So number That's one what's is- interesting. Yeah. Give, me, give me one second on that. I want to unpack that sure. a little bit. So EBITDA is something that's, a, it's it's definitely a foreign language to most most people, right? Mm -hmm. So EBITDA in the, in, the, in the simplest sense is essentially the actual revenue take home that this business makes before taxes. Yes, on the tax returns. However- On their tax returns. However- we do what's called normalizing the financials because a lot of business owners, especially small business owners, right. will run personal expenses through the business. So you get to add those things back in, Correct. right? So the, the net income on your tax returns or your adjusted gross income on your tax returns, plus the 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 money you spent for your vehicle, your yeah. your personal 
your company car, uh, your, you know, yeah. your, the, the money you spent on that business trip to, uh, to, to Cabo right. uh, last year, right? The things, right. things that a, that the new owner would not have as an expense in the business. Correct. So, Correct. So you explained it really well, even as, as, so what we do is we take the, the we, we actually put it in a spreadsheet, P and L's yep. and tax returns next to each yep. other. And we add back the amortization, depreciation, interest, most of the time interest, unless it's a motorcycle dealership, car dealership that has a floor plan, then you don't add back interest. But then we add back all the personal expenses, not necessary to run that business. Um, you know, the, the husband might have the wife working there. And the wife is getting paid 150000 and the wife does bookkeeping, and we can replace 150000 with a $35,000 bookkeeper, right? Yeah. So that would be added back. Let's say that the business needed a new roof, okay? And they need a new roof because there's a hurricane. <laughs> and the insurance would cover everything, so it costs them fifty grand. We don't replace a, a roof every year. Let's say that you just had to replace an AC unit, and that costs you twenty grand. Or you just hired a software programmer to, to put together some proprietary software and that cost you a hundred grand. Those are non-reoccurring. So we always add back personal and non-reoccurring. Personal and non-reoccurring. So think yes. about that, everyone. That, that So you get to add that back in for your business evaluation. And this is what Michelle was talking about. It's important to, to sit down with, with, with a, a business broker or someone knowledgeable in these, in, these, in these things to get that business valuation, understand what you're what, what your company is, what your snapshot is at this time. And make sure um, you get the right advisor. And we can talk about that at that, the end of the for show. Sure. There's good for one. sure. It's like everything, you know, there's good and bad, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's good and bad roofers. There's good and bad uh, business <laughs> brokers. There's, there's people that are more competent than others. We'll just right, say that right. for sure. Right. Right. And so, so now moving into that, now we, we know our EBITDA, we know what we're, what, what our goal is, the, the exit yep. on the goal. Do you, is there a kind of a common uh, gross multiplier in like the construction trades? Yeah. So, you know, I'd have to pull up specific in roofing. So it depends on, it depends on different factors. So when we go into valuations, a lot of uh, brokers will do it based upon industry standards or market approach or asset approach. Well, we look at everything. We look at market approach, asset approach, um, discounted cash flow. And um, we also look at what nobody else looks at, which is the six P's, because the six P's are the synergies that buyers will pay more money for. And that's how we come up with an evaluation. But, you know, and it also depends on how long has the business been in business? How well branded are they? You know, do they have any IP? Do they have any contracts in place? You know, if they're in construction, you know, who is, is a client Walmart and, and a strategic buyer wants to get that Walmart client. You know, there's so many things, so many so factors, many so many variables yeah. that can really cause your multiple to be much higher yeah. than just if you're basing it on the EBITDA. We never and just look at the EBITDA. Yeah, that's your goal is to increase your multiple. So your multiple is your EBITDA times that multiple is what you get paid for that business. So if your EBITDA is $1 million and someone will pay you a 10 times multiple, you're, be, you're, you're able to sell your business for $10 million. 
Yes, but in most cases, will, you probably won't get a 10 multiple. And most laugh. likely not. That's right. That's right. That's a, we're, we're just making math easy right now, Michelle. <laughs> I got to keep it simple for myself. But if now if you have a million dollars and you're getting a two times multiple, you could sell your business for $2 million. Yeah. Now, so higher the, the EBITDA, I want to say something really quick. Yes. If your EBITDA is under a million, you're going to get a much less multiple. When you start getting the EBITDA over a million, the multiples start to increase. We're working with a construction company right now that has about 10, 10 million in EBITDA. And we are about a seven to eight multiple with them. Okay. And okay. because we're going to create a bidding war, we might end up at nine or 10. Nice. And so now what, what, we, what you started getting into, which I, which I kind of moved us back a little bit, but now we're getting into how do you put the things in place in your business to increase that EBITDA? So that is what the six P's are, correct? Right. Yeah. And these are all great questions because, it, you know, you really got to understand what increases the multiple. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's the EBITDA. The higher the, first of all, the higher the EBITDA, once you get over a million in EBITDA, you're going to have a lot more buyers. Yep. You will ever have under a million in EBITDA because there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what do buyers look for and what will buyers pay more money for? And how do I evaluate businesses? So the first P, the first P, one of the most important P's is people. People. <clears throat> if you are the business, if you're the owner and you're the business and the business 1000% depends on you, you're going to have a very difficult time selling it. Not impossible, but very difficult and the compensation of that sale is going to be dependent upon how long you stay with the company. It's going to be tied to you staying with the company. So if you're in construction, I, I'll tell you a sad story. <clears throat> sad story. I had a, a lady call me. She's probably in her seven. She was probably 75, 80 years old. <clears throat> She's in Dallas. And her husband's a general contractor, not a roofer, general contractor. And her husband had a heart attack and died. Nobody knew. Like, it was not suspected, right? He never planned for his exit. He never did a succession plan. He didn't do any of that. So she calls me up to sell it. So I'm asking her all these questions. Tell me about the people in the business. She goes, well, what do you mean about the people? And I go, who are the employees? She goes, we don't have employees, honey. He has subcontractors. And I said, okay, how many? And she told me. And I said, well, who runs the business when he's not around? She goes, he always ran the business. And so I started asking her all these other questions. He has nothing to sell because he's the business. Unless one of those subcontractors want to step up and buy his business, there's really nothing to sell. And guess what? He didn't have any, he didn't have any processes. He didn't have anything in place. So that's the situation you don't want to end up in. That's okay? right. It's very sad on her behalf. And it was very sad for me that I couldn't really help her much. You know, I tried to do everything I could. So number one is people. Rather than roofing, construction, if you're a chiropractor, if you're a dentist, it doesn't matter. Build. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. You build people and people build the business. So you got to have the right people in the right seats. And eventually you got to get the business not, to not depend upon you. So you have to ask the who question, who opens the doors, who deals with clients, who handles the bidding process, who supervises, who supervises the jobs, who works on the jobs, who handles customer complaints, who handles legal issues, who handles environmental issues, who, 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 
The clue, Jim, is you should never be next to the who. Yes. Because if you want to build a sustainable, scalable, and when you're ready, sellable business, it can't be dependent upon you because you won't get maximum value if the business is dependent upon you. And if we can sell it because it's dependent upon you, that compensation, that sales price is going to be dependent upon you staying in the business for, for so many years. Okay. So build a business that operates without you. It's harder to sell a job than a business. <laughs> it's, you know what? Buyers don't buy a job. Buyers, buyers don't buy want to buy a job. They want to yeah. buy a business. Buyers do not want to buy a job. So they want get to buy the a people in place. The only buyers that will ever really buy a job are the first time buyers that are quitting corporate America and they want to yep. be their own boss. Yep. Yeah. Other than that, buyers are not. Look, I buy businesses. I partner with business owners. I don't need more jobs. I got enough jobs. You That's know, right. so buyers don't want to buy a job. They want to buy a business. The second P is, is product. And even in roofing, you know, some of, some of your listeners might be listening going, how am I supposed to do that? Well, here's the bottom line. You got to start somewhere. You got to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. And, you know, you might not be able to afford a W-2 if you're just starting out. Maybe you can get yourself some 1099s. In the office, you can maybe get yourself some interns. You know, there's all kinds of ways to get people to, to buy into your vision and work in your business. So you got to start somewhere, but you have to build, you have to build, get the people to build the business for you. Make sense? Okay. For sure. So the second P is product. So product is very important. So product is your industry, right? So ask yourself, is your product on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? If you have a Blockbuster, you're in big trouble, right? So roofing, let's talk about roofing for a minute. Roofing is not a dying industry, right? There are different times. There are peaks and valleys to roofing. You know, a lot of times, I mean, I'm in New Orleans and we have hurricanes and we have roof chasers that come to New Orleans. They're called roof chasers. And I want to get all this work. Um, but roofing will always be around. Roofing is not going to be one of those industries that's going to be replaced anytime soon, right? So roofing is pretty much on the way. You know, it's, it's not really on the way out. But during COVID, some roofing businesses might be doing better than others, right? So it depends upon, you know, where you live, where you are, et cetera. I will tell you, home construction is way up right now because people are spending more time at home and they're renovating and they're spending more time on their house versus traveling, okay? So you need to know, is your business on the way up or on the way out? Now, if, you're, if your business is on the way out and you're struggling, then you need to ask yourself three transformational questions, Number one, what business are you in? Number two, what do you do really, really well? And number three, what business should you be in? Let me illustrate this point really quickly with Amazon. Amazon started in business. They were in business for a while and they asked themselves, what business are we in? They said, we're in the book selling business. We sell books. What do we do really, really well? We do fulfillment really well, better than anybody. What business should we be in? Fulfillment. fulfillment. <laughs> Those three questions transformed Amazon into a small book selling company into a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. So if you're in roofing and you're struggling, you know, ask yourself, what do I do really well? What can I pivot to? What can I do a little bit differently? What business should I be in? Does that make sense? Definitely. And sometimes you have to get an outsider's perspective like Jim to help you with that or me or somebody because when you're in your fog, it's foggy. <laughs> Yeah. And when you're in the middle of the chaos, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. So that's product. The third one is processes. 
And processes are very important and mostly overlooked by most business owners. Most business owners don't plan your exit and they don't really think about processes until they have to. Yeah. Oh, somebody got hurt on a job. Let's have a process for that. <laughs> oh, a customer complained. Let's have a process for that. Oh, they didn't pay us. Let's have a process for that. That's a good right. process to have. <laughs> but, your pro- <laughs> but your processes should really be thought about in the beginning, Jim. And they should be designed. I don't care what industry you're in. They should be designed with the customer experience in mind because so many processes are designed to upset the customer, you know? And guess what? If we don't create wow experiences for our clients, they'll go somewhere else. So processes should be designed with the customer experience in mind. Did you ever watch the movie, The Founder, the McDonald's story? Oh, yeah. You you watch that? Okay, I'm going to tell you real quick since you watched it. Back in the 40s, the McDonald's brother said, we want to open up a fast food restaurant because back then it was only drive ups, remember? And everybody came out on roller skates and the food was always cold. The order was always wrong and it took, it took so long to get your order. So McDonald's brothers said, let's build a restaurant and here's our customer experience, what we want the customer experience to be, our mission, our vision. We want the customers to get great tasting food that's hot in two minutes or less, Right. How are we going to do that? Oh, well, let's go and build out our processes. So they took all their employees to an empty tennis court. Do you remember that? Yeah. They grabbed yeah. the chalk. They rolled on there. They spent all day on this tennis court moving their employees around till they finally figured out who takes the order, who toasts the buns, who cooks the burger, who puts the pickles on the bun, who gives it to the client in two minutes or less. That process is designed with the customer experience in mind is why you can eat at a McDonald's in Singapore or New Zealand or Australia or USA, and it's the same. So yeah. you really, all business owners should work on their processes from the beginning, tweak them, make sure you have policy manuals and SOP checklists, like you mentioned earlier. You have to have processes. It's just like building a house. You have a blueprint to build in a house. You need a blueprint to your business. And that's right. what makes it run efficiently. And what we're talking about is that increases the value. That increases the value. All of this increases value because if your processes are not productive and efficient, you're going to lose cost. You're going to spend more money in overhead and you're going to have more waste. Plus, if they're not designed with the customer experience in mind, guess what? You're going to have unhappy customers. And what do unhappy customers do? They tell everybody else because they like to commiserate. They tell everyone. So happy customers tell a few. Unhappy tell everyone. So you you gotta make sure you get those processes set. And then the fourth P, which is the biggest value driver, this P will get you the highest multiple. Now, let me repeat that. (laughs) This P will get you the highest multiple. This is proprietary. Proprietary is huge. Now, the biggest thing in proprietary is branding. The more well-branded you are, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of your consumers, the more we can sell your business for. Now, when I say relevant, do you think anybody's going to pay any money for Blockbuster? No, no. because Blockbuster <laughs> went bust. So you got to make sure your brand is relevant. So branding is huge. The, um, the biggest brand in the world, do you know who the biggest brand is? The most valuable brand? Is it who Nike or who is, it has to be one of those. Who's the biggest brand in the world? Apple. 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 Worth $189 billion. That's just a brand. That's not the EBITDA. That's not inventory. That's not assets. That's not real estate. That's only the brand. 
So build your brand, build your exit. The other big thing is trademarks. And here's where businesses get in trouble. <laughs> trademarks are very important. But most business owners will go to the state. They'll get a local trademark in their state. They never did their due diligence and check the federal database to make sure that that trademark is available on a federal basis. So you could be in business for five, six, seven, eight years, and all of a sudden receive a letter in the mail that says you have to stop using that name. And yes, you can spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to fight it, and you'll lose. And then you have to stop using that name. You have to start branding all over again. It's very expensive to brand. So go get the trademark. Trademark everything. If you have a podcast, trademark your podcast. You know, I have Exit Rich. I trademarked Exit Rich. It's funny. I see you writing that down. I can't tell you how many podcasts I've been on. Right. They're like, oh my God, I go go trademark my podcast. Well, it's funny you say that, Michelle, because we <laughs> actually in our in our in our digital marketing agency, we just uh-huh. uh we just got news that we got our trademark yesterday. So <laughs> congratulations. Yep. Yeah. And how much did that cost you, if you don't mind me asking you? I can't even I I, I can't remember it. Yeah. No. On average, not my job. <laughs> on not average my job. For, for my trademarks. It's about 1500 to 2000 Yeah, it was so, about that. Yep, we're yeah. right in there. Yep, So the sure. S, So my ST6Ps are trademarked. My GPS exit model is trademarked. Exit rich is trademarked. My company name doesn't have to be because it's my name. <laughs> yep. So go get your stuff trademarked. Also, if you're an inventor, even in the roofing industry, there are lots of inventors in the roofing industry that have come up with something really unique. I've seen painters. I've seen construction. You know, um, all kinds of people in that industry that mm-hmm. and plumbing heating, roofing, to have developed a product, something unique that makes things easier. Go get a patent. Patent protect your ideas. And, you know, do you watch Shark Tank? Oh, yeah. And what do they always ask? Every single shark asks what? Mm-hmm. Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent on that? Do you have a patent on that? So go get your patents. The other thing that's really valuable is contracts. Yeah. Contracts are big. So if you have any contracts with manufacturing, vendor contracts, if you're a franchisor and you have franchisees, let's say you have a franchisor, well, I don't, is there any franchise roofing companies? Yeah, there's a few out <laughs> Okay, there. so if there's a franchise roofing company and they got franchisees, those contracts are very valuable. Um, yeah. Let's say that, you know, we work with a lot with renovation companies um, and they have contracts with insurance companies. They have MSA agreements with insurance yep. companies. Very valuable. The most valuable are client contracts. So especially if you're in um, like commercial construction, things like commercial that. Commercial roofing. Yeah. Commercial, commercial roofing, roofing has a lot, of, a lot of maintenance contracts and things like right. that. Right. Those are valuable. However, here's the caveat. You have to make sure you have the transferability language in there. Mm. If you don't, it might not transfer over because 99.9% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. They're not buying the stock of your corporation. So- they're buying the assets of your corporation. So if they're not transferable, then it could cause your deal not to close. Okay. So just simple language in your, in your contracts that say this is a transferable. Yeah. This is transferable um, to another entity. I mean, I can send you the language. I got it from an attorney that I work with. <laughs> That's why I'm giving it to all my clients because but it's, it's very difficult to go to sell a business. It's those little things that all of a sudden you think you have a you know a a, a, a higher valuation than you do, and 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 someone is is digging through your financials and and your business to to determine what they're actually going to pay you, and they run across these contracts, and it's like whoa, these yeah. aren't transferable. Like n- now. All of a sudden, your valuation goes down. So 
get the details right. Get the details. Cause you know, it's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know. Yeah. So get those details. So we're still on a proprietary. Here's another big thing that's really valuable. And even in roofing, even in construction is valuable. Databases. Mm. Databases. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. And WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. But WhatsApp had a billion users. They knew they could monetize. So what we're talking about right now are synergies. Synergies, the strategics, competitors, pegs will pay more money for because if you have a certain, let's say you have a contract with Walmart, I used Walmart earlier, and they've been, they have a similar product and they've been trying to get in Walmart and can't get in the front door, they're going to pay more money for that Walmart contract. Let's say that you have a huge database and it can be retargeted and repurposed because they're a strategic, they're not a competitor, and they can use that database to help their business. You, yeah. you follow me? These yeah. are synergies that will really drive your multiple and get you a much higher number on your EBITDA. Um, and then the other thing is, and I don't know how applicable this is in roofing unless they're selling products, but like, let's say, the, let's say that somebody in roofing created, has a patent and they have a product, right? And let's say that product is being endorsed by Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or somebody like that, some celebrity endorsement. That's huge. Yeah. You know how many, you know how many companies want celebrity endorsements and can't get them? Or let's say they have a product that they invented and they're number one on Amazon and they've cornered the market. Yep. Or let's say they develop something and they're number one on Wayfair. This is what we call IP real estate. So it's very valuable real estate that buy strategics will pay a lot of money for. Okay. I've heard you talk about this before and, and, so for a, you know, I come from the digital marketing side. So um, what about you, your online presence through search engine optimization? If you show up in all of the searches in that, yeah. in that specific location, would that be something? Or if you had to have a very large social media following something like that uh, to your company, would, would that be considered in that proprietary? Absolutely. It's a good point. Okay. As long as it's your company name and not your name personally. That's right. Yep. So if you have a very good rating, if you're, if you're number one on SEO on the first page, if you have a very good reputation on Yelp and all these other, yep. um, you know, reporting hundreds systems, hundreds and hundreds of positive reviews for the company. Yes. That is, that's all part of your branding. Yeah. That's all yep. part of branding and yep. that all plays in the branding. And that, that definitely gets you more for your business. I mean, think about it. If a buyer is looking at a company that is very low and is very low and has negative reviews. And they're looking at another company that buys that has all these positive reviews. Who do you think they're going to go with? Easy. Just like the customer, the customer exactly. is going to, call, <laughs> going to call the person with good reviews, right? Exactly. So, so yeah. it's very important to, to manage your online reputation. That was a good point that you brought up because that will make you more money in the sale of your business. And it'll make you more money while you're in business. Like while you said. you're in business, that's right. right. And these P's are not all, these P's are not formulated to make, to just to just get you to the sale. These P's that's are right. formulated so you have a profitable business. Yes. So the, the fifth P is patrons, okay? Now patrons is your customer base. And usually most companies follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenue comes from 20% of their clients. And if they lose a couple of clients, they're in big trouble, right? So, you know, you got to ask yourself, who's my customer base? You know, are they dealing, are, are the roofers dealing with, 
you know, who is our customer base? Is it the homeowner? Is it the insurance company? Is yeah. it the uh, a general contractor, right? Who is it? Who's our customer base? Because you want customer diversification, not customer concentration. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And yeah. always ask yourself, to always ask your clients, because this is what business owners stop doing. They stop asking their clients, what do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with me? Because the business that makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is the company that's going to win. Amazon is winning because Amazon makes it so easy. So in the roofing industry, make it easy. What can you do? What is your USP, unique selling proposition? What can you? Do, what do you do different than everybody else? And how can you make it the easiest for your client to do business with you and want to refer you more and more and more business? And that's what it is, especially in today's you know, climate or environment, like it's 2021, we want a button, right? Buy now, ship, right? Like show up at my door tomorrow. We're sick of the two day shipping on Amazon. We want the one day, right? Like it's, everything is a, is a, we want it now and that people expect that. So making a frictionless process to, in, in dealing with your company, that's, that's great. I love that friction list. I might have to steal that from you. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, and and the reason why is because Amazon is the one who changed the buying habits of consumers. Amazon did that. Now COVID has done it because we were buying all of our products on Amazon. We're still going to the grocery store. Now we're not even going to the grocery store anymore because Target and Walmart innovated and stepped up. And they have a club where they'll deliver groceries right to your doorstep. So you're right. Everybody, why do you think Amazon bought 12 new planes? So they could deliver it quicker because they know everybody wants it in a day. Nobody wants to. And pretty soon it's going to be in an hour. That's right. (laughs) Ship it on drones. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So the last P and the most important P, I'm sure to all of your listeners, is profits. Yes. We all want to make money. We're all in business to make money. However, I'm here to tell you, Profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating on one of the other five P's. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. Like, no, you don't have a profit problem. You have a people problem or you have a process problem or you have an IP problem or you're you're in a dying industry. You have a product problem. You need to pivot. You need to, you know, you need to get some congruent revenue streams in. Problem profits are never the problem. They're always the symptom. So, so the sixth P is profits, but if you don't see profits, you better look at the other five P's. Well, you better, you should be manager of five P's all the way through. That's right. And that's what yeah. business owners are not doing. And yeah. when we say, you know, buy what a buyer is looking for and how to build a business that buyers want to buy, that's it right there in a nutshell. If you get yeah. those six things right, and you will have a sellable business that people will pay you top dollar for and a higher multiple for. Definitely. And that's, that's what people, that's what you guys as business owners need to think about. It's, it's the end, the exit rich, what Michelle's new book is about. It's all about making, planning for that exit and understanding what it, what you need to do exactly in your business for that between where you are today in your current snapshot to where you want to be whatever that time frame is, what you need to have in place to get that the, the best exit, right? You guys spend, we all as business owners spend, you know, countless hours in our businesses. Most of us, you know, there's no pension plan for being a business owner, right? Yeah. This is our pin, pension plan, right? A lot of people think about when they retire that their house is that asset that'll give them that 
you know, that, that, that a little bit of a, of a, of a boost in, uh, in retirement of, you know, having enough income, man, your business, build your business to sell. Mm-hmm. No, even if you never plan on selling it, mm-hmm. build your business to sell, uh, you'll be in a much better place earlier or a little earlier. We talked about who, you know, there are good business brokers and bad business brokers. What should someone look for in choosing someone to evaluate their business? So when or you're choosing you. when you're choosing a business <laughs> broker, what's that? Or yeah, or or just, just call me. Or just call. <laughs> when you're looking at for a business broker or M and A advisor, you got to determine. Okay, wait a minute. A business broker. So there's a difference between business brokers and M and A advisors. Okay. I'm a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary and senior business analyst, and I sell larger businesses. Business brokers typically sell the small little businesses. Okay. So you need to determine. Okay. My firm, by the way, does have brokers that sell the small businesses, like the small pizzerias and restaurants and things like that. I personally sell businesses 10 million and up. But you got to ask yourself, do I want a business broker or do I want an M&A advisor? Because there's a, there's a level of education and a quality level that's very different. A lot of people get in this industry, they call themselves a business broker and they've never done a deal before. <laughs> or they get in this industry and they've never ran a business before. You know, it's very hard to put yourself in a seller's shoes and tell a seller what to be doing if you've never even ran a business yourself. Yeah. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've run many businesses. And at any given time, I own five to, different, five, five to ten different companies. So determine, do you need a business broker or do you need an M&A advisor? And then you want to know how much experience do they have? How long have they been doing this? How many businesses have they sold? In what verticals, what industries have they sold businesses? Now, that's not as important because if somebody's never sold a roofing company before, a construction company before, it doesn't mean they can't. But if somebody already has experience in selling constructions and roofing, then they probably already have buyers and they already have some industry experience, right? So you want to know what industries have you sold in? How many businesses have you sold? How long have you been doing it? Are you the owner of the business? Because that does kind of make a difference because the owner is the one who decides where the marketing budget goes, <laughs> not the broker, it's not the agent. <laughs> so if you're talking to an agent and they don't own the business, that's okay too. Just ask them, how do y'all make decisions? How, 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 who determines the budget? How do I know how much money is going to be spent on my business, et cetera? Then you also might want to ask them, you know, do you have a CRM? Uh, a customer, um, you know, keeping all your customers. How many buyers do you have? I mean, we have 25,000 buyers. You might even ask them, do you know the five different types of buyers? Because most brokers have no clue. (laughs) But that was insightful. And, and, and I have a, a, we, I have a, a, a friend that I, that that sold his digital marketing agency in the last year or so. And it, he got bought, bought out by a private equity fund. And it was like, Ooh, that was, there that we've had a lot of great conversations about that. I think that's a really interesting conversation to have to know that who that buyer is. That that right. that that that's super super interesting. What uh, you and know, ask the, them how if they know how to evaluate businesses. Yes, because a lot of business, a lot of brokers will say, "Oh, you want ten million dollars? No problem. Let me write it up." And they don't even do a formal evaluation, yeah. and they put it up on the market. And it's never going to sell. That's right. And they're more order takers versus business brokers. So it's like you don't a, want an order a, a, real taker. Estate, a real estate agent that asks you, what do you want to sell your house for? Instead of telling you what the market will bear in your house, right? Exactly. You sure exactly. That you're dealing with an educated person who is, because if you overprice your business, 
people aren't going to look at it, right? right. It, or, or, or you're going to get a different type of person looking at it, maybe, and, right? And like, ask them know. if they've ever created a bidding war before. Yeah. And the other thing too, because it's really important to know, have they ever created a bidding war? Because if they haven't, then they probably don't have that many buyers that they're bringing yes. to the table. Yep. Supply you know, and demand. Yeah. Never hire a real estate agent to sell your business. It's like <laughs> if you need a heart surgery, you're not going to go to your dentist, right? <laughs> yeah. And it happens though. A lot of business owners will hire a real estate agent. I'm like, I don't sell houses because it's not my core competency. That's right. Yeah, that's a yeah. much different thing. This is a much different. That it's is a, a much, much different thing. Different thing. <laughs> yeah, that is if like you mess up on a house. It's not necessarily yeah. going to destroy everybody's livelihood. That's if you mess right. up on a business, it's going to destroy everybody's livelihood, including the employees. Yeah, definitely. So the new book comes out January twenty sixth. Yes, January twenty sixth is a Target Pub date. You know, COVID has really caused all of us to pivot, including yeah. us, but we're in pre-sales right now. So everybody can go get the book at exitrichbook.com. Now, don't just put an exit rich because that's what people have been doing. You have to put an exitrichbook.com and they can get the, the book right now, less than what you can buy on Amazon and less what you're going to get it for after um, pre-sale. So it's $24.79. You will receive the email for the digital download immediately. So you don't have to wait till the book gets shipped to uh -huh. you. Then we will ship the hardcover to your doorstep. And then you get a lifetime membership into the book club, Exit Rich Book Club, where you have video training of me doing all these different deep dives and teachings plus documentation. Every business has to have documentation. So a lot of clients are like, Michelle, I've never seen an employee handbook or an organizational chart yeah. or a sample. You know, I don't even know what LOI looks like, a letter of intent or a purchase agreement or due diligence checklist or closing docs. They're all in there. All this documentation is in there for your review and your download. You can download it. Plus, we add more content all the time. And you will also receive a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, which is a like-minded entrepreneurial organization I started where we do um, transformational questions, hot seats, Q&As, things to help you not just survive, but thrive on the other side of this. Awesome, Michelle. That's so great. That's a lot of value there that you guys are offering. And just, just to, I appreciate the value that you brought to the, to the listeners today. Um, it, it, it's great. Go out and buy the book, pre-order exitrichbook.com. This has been another episode of the Roofing Success Podcast. If you would like to generate more sales through your digital marketing efforts, please visit roofermarketers.com and get a copy of the book, Internet Marketing for Roofing Contractors, How to Triple Your Sales and Turn Your Roofing Website into an Online Lead Generation Machine. Also, check the training section of the website for guides on everything from running effective pay-per-click ads to how to properly set up your Google My Business listing. This has been another episode of the Roofing Success Podcast. Thanks for listening.